You're listening to the First Baptist Church of America's podcast. If you have any questions about our church, please check us out online at fbcamericas.org. This week, we take a break in our journey through John's gospel to hear from Brother Paul Evans as he shares with us how the Evans family is being used to reach people for Christ in Taiwan. Well, good morning. It is such a joy to be here today, and you know, it's been a long time in coming, I think, being able to come here. The last time I was able to speak here was actually when our son Isaac graduated high school, and he was homeschooled, and he was standing right here, I think it was right here, where he was standing, and I got to say a few words about him as he graduated high school. That was an amazing, an amazing thing. It was a lot of fun. But we do have a special treat for you. I bring you greetings from the Church of Northeast Taiwan. So you can wave, it's okay. <laughs> okay, they may not see you. But uh, no, it's a, it's a wonderful time that we can come here together and be with you. And we traveled a long way to be here with you this morning, all the way from across the parking lot. And... Uh, as you know, we, we're living in the missionary house right over here. And that's been a, just a tremendous blessing to us. When we decided to go on an extended furlough and come back to the States, we actually had no clue where we we're going to go. We didn't have a place to stay. We didn't have any jobs. We just knew that God had ordained that to be the time for us to come back to the States for a period of time. And we were just trusting that he was going to make things happen. And guess what? God is always faithful. He made things happen, didn't he? And uh, because God has worked through people like you guys here at First Baptist Church and uh, has been such a tremendous blessing to us. So thank you so much uh, for reaching out to us and really being part of, of, uh, of ministering to us as a, as a family. It's, uh, it's been a tremendous blessing to us. So thank you so much. We're very thankful for you guys. And so uh, I did bring some family here today. My wife, Lori, is here, and our sons, uh, Matthew and Joel, and Nathan and his wife, Meredith. Wave a little bit there. They're up front. So you'll get to talk to them more at lunchtime today. But we did leave some people behind. We do have a few more. Here's Isaac and Sherry. They're still in Taiwan. They're living there in Taiwan right now, and they're the ones expecting our first grandchild. So Lori and I get to fly back to Taiwan here in just a few weeks to, to be there with our new grandbaby, and then we'll fly right back again. But um, uh, that's going to be a fun trip. And then here is our daughter, Sarah. She is currently living in Nebraska. Some of you may know her. She graduated here from America's High School, but she's up in, in Nebraska working up in Omaha right now. But I'm going to start this morning by reading a letter from a missionary. Not from me, but from another missionary. And, uh, and when I do that, though, or before I do that, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just want to take a moment here and just thank you, God, for just how wonderful you are, how faithful you are. And God, I pray that you would just take our time this morning and that your spirit would just work in our hearts, that you would encourage us, that you would convict us, that you would guide us, you would instruct us, so that, Lord, our lives would be pleasing to you and that we would be obedient to the things that you call us to do. God, we offer up our lives as a sacrifice to you. I pray that you would 
Have your way in the service this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here's the letter. It says, A Buddhist temple rests at the top of one of the surrounding mountains here in Taiwan. Resting at the top of this mountain is a giant idol of a female version of Buddha. I can literally see this statue from almost anywhere that I am in Audi. I can walk outside of my apartment and look to the mountain, and there this idol stands as the tallest thing in sight. Two fellow missionaries and I made our way up this mountain to visit this temple. After traveling through two pillars, which portray the different world religions, we made our way to this giant golden Buddha. Before stepping onto the platform, we read a set of rules. Being a Buddhist temple, there were rules about keeping the environment clean, but at the bottom there was a rule written in bold letters, do not communicate with other spirits while in this presence. While there, seeing this idol made us sick to our stomach, we were all deeply troubled and proceeded to pray for Taiwan, for the ministry and for the people around us worshiping this God. When we were done praying, we noticed that there was a woman that walked behind us and stood at the base of the statue. I made the comment, if I could just speak to her, I would tell her the gospel. Something urged me forward and the words filled my heart. What if you can? So we walked up to her and Richard proceeded to introduce us in Chinese and make small conversation, which she replied in fluent English. And we realized she had heard us praying. She heard what we'd prayed, that we were praying for her, that we were praising God and shaming Buddha. She understood who we were. When I spoke, I felt a conviction in my heart to be in prayer for her. In that moment, Satan was whispering his lies into her ears. She's blind. She's ignorant to the truth. She sees the light, but she can't comprehend it. I prayed for her. I prayed that God would take her heart of stone and give her a heart of flesh. I prayed that God would soften her heart, that he would reveal himself to her. And we shared the gospel with her, and she was so receptive. She understood it. At the end, when we finished telling her the gospel, she replied with tears in her eyes. That's so beautiful. That's a letter that was written by her son Isaac after his first few months of landing in Taiwan for the first time. And for those of you that may not know, Taiwan is a little bitty island just off the coast of China. And less than 2% of the people in, in Taiwan are Christian, or at least evangelical Christians. And a lot of the rural villages of northeast Taiwan where we were ministering, that number drops very close to zero really quick. Because most of the evangelism that's happened in Taiwan has been happening in the major cities. And these rural areas have kind of been left to fend for themselves. And so we went to try to reach these people with the gospel. Many of them had never even heard of Christianity or who Jesus is. But most of the Taiwanese, they practice a combination of, 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 of Buddhism and Taoism, uh, ancestor worship, things like that. They're a very religious people. And the spirit world is a very real thing to them. And they worship many different gods. Not just one God. They worship many different gods. And here's a, a Taoist temple. I know it's going to be hard to see. I'm going to zoom in for you. That's the main section. This temple was actually in the village where uh, Lori and Matthew and I, and Joel too, were, were living. That village had only about 100 people. It was a really small village. We didn't even have a grocery store. The grocery store was, uh, was, an, was an elderly lady just a, a few houses down that had a, a cooler on her porch where we could open up and get a Coke and pay her some money. 
that was the grocery store. And sometimes the grocery truck would drive through and we'd buy our groceries off the grocery truck as they came through. Uh, it was a very, very small village, fishing village. But this temple, thousands of people would come to this temple every week to worship. They would come all throughout northeast Taiwan to, to this temple. It was one of the larger temples in the area. And when you go inside, here's a, a, a man who's worshiping one of the gods. They have several different altars set up with several different idols in front of each one. And they make sure that they worship all of them because they don't want to offend one of the gods by not worshiping that god. And some of these gods they know are, are evil. And they worship them anyway because they're trying to be left alone. And they feel that if they worship these evil spirits, then these, the evil spirits will go and bother somebody else. It'll make someone else's family sick and leave my family alone or cause a disaster for someone else and not a disaster for me. And so that's the way that the culture is over there. And it's definitely based on a lot of fear. And just outside of that temple, you'll see the, the smokestack there in the background. What they do is they'll come and they'll take ghost money, is what they call it, just paper money, and they will burn that so that they can send that to their ancestors in the afterlife. If you talk to someone in Taiwan about hell, they already know what hell is because they believe everyone goes to hell. If there's not really a heaven, everyone's going to go to hell. And it just depends on what place in hell that you're going to be based on how you lived your life. And also based on what your living relatives do. And if they burn some of this ghost money or if they offer, offer up different sacrifices to you as their ancestor, then they get to move to a better part of hell. That's not going to be quite so bad. And so that's the way that they, they see that. And then every once in a while, they'll take their idols out of the temple and they will parade them through the village because they want the whole village to be blessed by these gods. These gentlemen I call the guardians of the gods. At this particular time, there's a, a, a god that they call Matsu. And they were bringing Matsu out of the temple and parading Matsu through the village. And these guardians, what they do before they get their faces painted, is they go through a, a ritual, a process, of becoming possessed by demons and by evil spirits. And so what they'll do then is they become the guardians of that God as that God parades through town so that the God is, has protection. And we were warned before this parade started that when we see these guys with the painted faces, not to get close to them, and especially don't touch them, because they could reach out and that one guy, you see the pole? On the end of that's a spear. And they also carry swords and clubs and, and knives and various things. They'll bring weapons and they will attack whoever comes close. And the, the government, they won't get charged with any crimes because they're possessed by some other spirit. It's not that person that did it. It was the spirit that did it. You should have known better. And I happened to take this picture when the, the parade was going right through our apartment complex, and I was standing at our back door, and these guys came right around the corner when I took this picture and surprised both of us, I think. But uh, they kept walking, thank goodness. 
All right, turn your Bibles, if you would, to Acts 17. We read the, uh, the, the longer piece about Paul speaking in, in Athens and speaking about this unknown God and telling them about this unknown God. But we're going to back up a few verses, and we're going to look at verses 16 and 17. Verses 16 and 17 says that, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him, when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers, and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. See, now when Paul saw this whole city of Athens embracing the worship of these idols and not worshiping the one true living God, it made him sick to his stomach. It grieved his spirit. He was in great distress over people that were worshiping these evil spirits, he knew that this was evil, that they were worshiping demons, basically, and not the one true living God, and that they were in bondage. And he knew that they would be one day judged by a righteous, holy God. And without Jesus, they had no hope. That their destination would be set and sure without Jesus Christ. That there was only one way for them to be rescued through Jesus Christ. Now, these temples are, are very ornate and beautiful, but they're places of tremendous darkness. In fact, we won't even go into some of these temples uh, unless you are really prepared. We, we spend time praying beforehand. Before we, if we know that we want to go into a temple, maybe some people have come to visit and they want to go see one, we'll spend time praying every, before we even set foot in there. These spiritual forces, these are real things. There, there really are demons. There really are angels. And here in America, sometimes we kind of lose sight of that. It seems like some of these, these uh, spiritual forces kind of, we don't really think about it that much. When you're in a place like Taiwan, it's, it's right there. It's in your face. Because they openly worship these demons and these spirits, and they know that spirits are all around them and, and active and doing things. But whenever you go into one of these temples, you can just feel the, the heaviness and that darkness, that oppression upon you, and you just have no choice but to pray. This is a, a small shrine. It's not just temples, but there's thousands of these little shrines along the roadside. This one happens to be on top of a mountain. Um, in the village where we live, there's a trail that goes up to the mountain. This shrine's at the top of it. So one day I took a, a hike up there, and I just took a picture of it. And uh, decided, you know, I wanted to get a little bit closer to get a picture of this little guy here in this inside. And so I got my pictures and everything. And as I was walking away, this was in the middle of the summertime, and my skin just turned cold. And the hairs on my arms and my neck just straight up and I could tell that there was something right behind me and, and I had to resist the urge just to spin around and see what it was and then I remembered you know what I, I had not really prepared myself to walk in that close to that particular shrine and so I just started praying and then the Lord just led me to I just started singing and I just started singing a worship song about Jesus. 
And it wasn't just a few seconds of doing that, that that sensation just completely went away. It was gone, and I just kept walking down the mountainside. But these forces are real, and these people are worshiping demons. And sometimes they think that these are, are good spirits that they're worshiping, but we know better that even what they think are good spirits that they're worshiping are just demons. And we've seen and heard stories of people in their fear. They put on a good front, but Taiwan is full of fear. Fear of this darkness. We had some missionary interns come in to help us one time with teaching English in some of the schools. And one Halloween, we went into the school, and we did a little program with the kids. And we asked them to just draw a picture of what you're afraid of. Now here in the States, if we asked the kids to do that, they'd probably draw pictures of like snakes and spiders and uh, maybe a clown, I don't know. So the, that would probably be kind of the pictures that you see here. It broke my heart to see the pictures that some of these kids were drawing. This particular young man, he's drawing a picture of one of the idols of some demons. But they were drawing pictures of of demons and ghosts and some of the idols and death and graves and some of their pictures were full of violence and blood and it was it was very disturbing the things that they were afraid of and these are elementary school kids because that darkness is real and that fear is real and it has a strong grip on the people of Taiwan. But what we had them do next is we had a big bucket of water. And we told them, take your picture that you just drew, all these things that you're afraid of, and I want you to put it in this bucket of water. And then they watched as that ink disappeared off the page. And we told them about how God is stronger than these demons. God is stronger than these ghosts. God is stronger than anything that you could be possibly afraid of. And that's the message that so many people need to hear. That God is stronger. That our God is faithful. Our God is with us. But in Ephesians 6, we have the verses about what our battle is truly against. Sometimes it's easy for us to lose sight of what we're really struggling with. I mean, it's real easy to see when we're in Taiwan. We see all these temples. We see the idols. We see all kinds of things going on. But what about here in the States? What about right here in Americas? Do you think these evil forces are at work right here in this city? Absolutely, they are. They may not be as obvious like they are in Taiwan, but they're just as much at work here as they are everywhere else in the world. And we see the side effects of that everywhere, don't we? All I gotta do is look at the news, all the, all the violence that you see in the news. Anyone that works with a, uh, in a job that interacts with the general public, you've probably seen a few things too and have some stories to tell about how people have started deteriorating, 
how they act in public. We're seeing some of this. We're seeing divisions. We're seeing conflicts. But our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against these powers and forces that we can't necessarily see, but we can see their effects. Our battle, sometimes we, we lose focus and we start thinking, well, our battle is against some political party, whether it's Republicans or Democrats, or maybe it's against liberals or it's against conservatives, or maybe it's the media. That's not what our battle is against. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the forces that are driving all of these things behind the scenes and fooling us into thinking. Fooling us into focusing our attention on anything except them. But these forces of evil is what the battle is about. And we have the forces of God on our side. But the enemy doesn't want us to deploy those forces and put those in the field. He wants to distract us and have us go the wrong direction. All this misdirection happening. But these same spirits have the same purpose here as they do in Taiwan. They want to steal, kill, and destroy. That's their purpose. And they'll do whatever they can to do that. So what did Paul do about it in our verses this morning? So Paul's spirit was provoked in verse 16 that we just read, but then in verse 17 it said that he then, basically he engaged the culture. He did something about it. So he was stirred up in his spirit, all these bad things going on, and he decided, you know what, I'm going to do something about it. I'm just not going to sit still for it. I'm going to do something about it. And what did he do? Did he become some kind of an activist? Did he go out and he start confronting the top sins of the day? No, he didn't do that. He went out and he preached Jesus and him crucified and resurrected. That's what he did. He went out and he preached Jesus. He introduced people to Jesus. Because Jesus is the one that brings the healing. Jesus is the one that brings the power. Jesus is the one that fights the battle. It's all about Jesus. And that's what he did. He taught them about Jesus. So as we go to Taiwan, that's what we do our best to do as well. When we go into the schools to teach English, they hear about Jesus. When the local elementary school calls us and says, hey, we want to send all of our students over to your church for trick-or-treating on Halloween. Well, what do you do about that? <laughs> well, we don't celebrate Halloween. But we said, bring them on. We get them into the church, and guess what? They heard about Jesus. And they got some candy. But they heard about Jesus first. And hopefully they had fun doing it as well. Now, Thanksgiving is an American holiday. They don't celebrate that in Taiwan. It's an American thing. But what a great opportunity for us to invite some of the teachers and principals and people from the community to come into the church where we can just fellowship together and we can teach them about being thankful. 
what are we thankful for? And have a conversation at least of what are we thankful for about this freedom that we have from fear and darkness. We're thankful for Jesus. This lady here in the striped shirt, her name is Teacher May. She's one of the English teachers at one of the schools that we taught at. She's actually a Buddhist. But she would come to our Thanksgiving celebration together, and she's heard the, the, uh, the story about Jesus. She's heard the gospel several times. And so we're still praying for Teacher May that she will one day give her life to Christ. And, of course, they get the, the famous American Thanksgiving meal. Now, I've got to brag on Lori here. Cooking Thanksgiving is kind of a stressful time to begin with, right? Well, now do cook Thanksgiving for about 50 or 60 people. And go ahead and do the whole thing. The turkey, the mashed potatoes and gravy, the dressing, the, what else do we have? The green beans, the, the bread, the sweet potato souffle. That was awesome. That was really good. But only using a two-burner propane stove a microwave, a toaster oven, a little one, toaster oven, and what else we have? Oh, we had two crock pots, yeah. And I think a roasting pan, and that was it. So she cooked Thanksgiving meal for 40, 50, however many people with just that. We had to keep flipping circuit breakers all the time because we were, it was, it was a mess. But we made it, and it was awesome, and I, hopefully they enjoyed it. But. I want to tell you about this lady. Her name, her American name is, or English name is Cherry. Cherry is a local believer. She's only been a Christian for maybe a year. But uh, we invited her to come and share her testimony at Thanksgiving at her church. And so when she came and it was her time to, to give her testimony, she spoke about how she was just terrified of the darkness. Whenever it was dark, she would just be terrified. She had a hard time sleeping. She had to sleep with lights on. And she was constantly afraid. But then one day someone told her and introduced her to Jesus. And the more she learned about it, and the more she realized, that's something I want. And she prayed and surrendered her life to Jesus. And she said that the moment she did that, that fear just left her. And she sleeps like a baby with all the lights off now. She's not afraid of the darkness. Now, I kid you not, as she was telling that her story, everyone in that room, the other Taiwanese, you know, they were just kind of moving around and wrestling and things, especially the children. You know how children are. They're always doing something. By the time she got to the end of her story, there was not a movement in that room. Even the children were still listening to her story because they, too, are terrified this darkness and this fear is something that they all could relate to and she shared Jesus with them and how Jesus set her free from that and everyone was just captured by her story it's an amazing thing to watch as people come to know Christ and then they share that with other people this is what happened to me let me tell you what happened to me she didn't share, she didn't have memorized the, gospel, the Romans Road to Salvation and all these Bible verses and things. She shared, this is what happened to me. This is what I was going through. I met Jesus. 
And this is what he did for me. I'm a different person now. I don't have that fear anymore. And that's something that they related to. That's a story any of us can tell. If you have Jesus. This is what I was like before. This is what Jesus did for me. And this is what I'm like now. Some people are afraid to share their faith because, well, what if they ask me all these different questions? What if they ask me this about this Bible verse or this thing over here? Just share your story. What did Jesus do for you? That's a story you know very well. That's a story you know how to share. Of course, we also share Jesus during Christmas time. We go into all the different schools, usually anywhere from 10 to 13 different schools, depending on the schedules, uh, upwards of about 1,000 different students in total. And we'll go in every Christmas and we'll tell them the Christmas story about Jesus. And we will tell the students, this is who Jesus is. And so some of these students have heard the story about Jesus several times now. Here's Teacher May one more time. She's holding up that, that, the thing that we handed out this time. Jesus is the light of the world. And she continues to, to come and hear the message about Jesus and who Jesus is and what he did for us. And we know that the more we tell, talk about Jesus, someday she's going to realize that that's something that she wants. So we're praying for, for her and for everyone else that hears this message. We also do, do the same thing at Easter. Here we are going in at Easter time, talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus as well. And it's amazing that these schools actually allow us to come in. They'd like us to come in. Because we do it in a way that's also teaching English. And we're teaching cultural, it's like a cultural exchange thing as well. And so they really enjoy having us do that. But it gives us a platform where we can share who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And we are able to, to send these, uh, usually posters and things, that the kids can take home and hopefully share with their parents. Because it's in both Mandarin and English, so then their parents can read it too. And they can hear about Jesus, even though they weren't there at the, at the event. Oh, <laughs> I'll show you this one. Sorry, hang on. Easter eggs. If you want to know what it's like to be a missionary, go buy 10,000 Easter eggs, fill them with candy, and, and then sort them so that you can take them to all these different schools. That's, sometimes that's what being a missionary is. It's a lot of just sitting there and doing stuff, right? It's got to be done because that's part of Part of the part of the ministry, and we would also put Bible verses in those Easter eggs as well, uh, so that they would have those. All right, this is Amy. Amy is one of the students that we taught English with, Lori and I, uh, a couple of years ago, and we did a summer program one year. Amy is one of twelve students that prayed to receive Christ during that summer program at Hume Elementary School up in Northeast Taiwan. This is James. Joel and I got to pray with James as we were up there hiking one day. James is a believer in Jesus Christ. This is Gingy with the crutches. He was homeless at one point, and he kept coming to the church. And 
Uh, well, Jinji, he got baptized about two months ago now. The young lady there, her name is uh, Cassie. She actually accepted Christ in our living room right here in Americas. She came here, what was about three, four years ago, and stayed with us, and she accepted Christ in our living room, and here she is getting baptized in Taiwan. And on the left-hand side with her back to us, her name is Rebecca. She didn't want to have her picture taken because there is some persecution that happens to people that are uh, become believers in Jesus. Just think about this. If your society, if your culture is built on worshiping your ancestors and your position in hell is based on what your living relatives do and you decide, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to only worship Jesus. Guess what your relatives are going to think? What's going to happen to me then when I die and I'm in hell and you don't worship and you don't burn the ghost money? I'm going to be like in the slums of hell. So they persecute very heavily their family members that decide to become Christians, especially the ones that choose that step of faith and being baptized saying, I will worship only Jesus. They're okay if you want to add Jesus to the list of other gods that you worship. But the moment you say, I'm only going to worship Jesus, that's a game changer. And so she was afraid of the persecution. She didn't want her picture to be taken. But she was baptized uh, that December right before we came back. We had the privilege of baptizing her. But sitting on the right-hand side, maybe hard to see, sitting there with his hands folded, that's her husband. He's a devout atheist, but he came to the church service, and he heard the gospel, and he was there, and so we're still praying for him. His name's Isaac, and so we're praying for Isaac that one day he's going to recognize that he too needs Jesus. His wife has been baptized, and so she's in the perfect place to influence him. So we're praying for Isaac, and we're praying for Rebecca that she will continue to be, to be strong. I'm just going to close with this last story. The, the tall girl, is her name's Nancy. Nancy's a believer. She's like a, a one-person evangelism machine. I mean, she goes, everything she does is focused on how can I bring more people to hear about Jesus. She has like surfing ministry. She does all kinds of different things to try to bring people so that she can tell them about Jesus. Well, Nancy used to be like many of the other people. She lived in fear of all this darkness and these evil spirits. But she would go to the temple and she would pray. And when she would go to the temple and pray, she told me that whenever she'd go to the temple, she'd have to introduce herself. So she'd be there praying to this God, and she would say, Hello, my name is Nancy. This is where I live. She had to give her address. She had to introduce herself to the God because they don't know who she is. And then somebody told her, you know what, the, the God of all creation, he already knows who you are. He knows your name. He knows where you live. He knows everything about you already. And she was blown away. It's like, you're kidding me. I don't have to introduce him, myself to him? No. You don't have to introduce yourself. He already knows who you are. And that blew her away. 
And so she became a Christian. She gave her life to Jesus Christ. And she continues, she loves Jesus so much, she just continues to share and share and share. And I don't know how many people she's led to Christ, but one of those is Milu. Milu is a special story for us. She would, after she became a Christian, she would spend up to three hours just to get to church on Sunday. We would show up for church, and sometimes she would be a little bit late. She'd say, oh, I'm so sorry, Mr. Paul, I'm so sorry I'm late. I said, oh, it's okay, Milu. Yeah, I, I had to uh, take a bus all the way from north of Taipei. I had to take like a two-hour bus drive all the way down here, and then I had to hitchhike up here, but I made it. <laughs> so, you got to be kidding me, Milo. You hitchhike up here to, just to get to church. Say, oh, yeah, yeah, but I'm here. She was so committed to showing up for church that she would spend upwards of three hours to travel just to get to church, to spend time with other believers. But Milu, well, I asked Nancy to, to help with her baptism, and we have a short video of her baptism here. Amen. <laughs> She's so excited to get baptized. She was terrified of getting baptized because her family was going to threaten to throw her out of the house. I said, Milu, you know what? Since you became a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the biggest family that you could possibly imagine. If you get thrown out of that house, you can live in our house. You can live, I can promise you I can find someone that will take you in. You never have to worry about that. If you get thrown out of your house because you follow what Jesus is telling you to do, God's going to take care of you. It's going to be okay. So she said, all right, I'm going to get baptized. And she did in our, in our uh, outdoor baptistry. You kind of have to time it with the waves. Didn't know if you noticed that. But Milu is introducing people to Jesus now. She is on fire for God. And it's amazing to, to watch her. Sometimes she'll come up and she'll translate for me um, whenever I'm, I'm uh, preaching or teaching. And sometimes I'll say something about something that the Bible says. And she, before she translates it, she'll stop and she'll look at me. No way. Did that really happen? I say, yes, Milo, that really happened. <laughs> and then some of the other people from the congregation, they'll start pulling out their Bible and they'll, oh, yeah, right here, right here, right here. It's an exciting thing to watch. She's just soaking in the Bible and everything about, about Jesus Christ. And so she's, she's no longer, she was a teacher, school teacher. She's no longer a teacher. She's actually devoted herself to full-time study of the Bible right now. And so she's in Bible learning school right now and uh, plans to devote her time to ministry. So God is working through the people of Taiwan. And what's amazing is that the person that led Nancy to Christ was a foreigner, a missionary that came to Taiwan and introduced her to Jesus. And then Nancy has been introducing other Taiwanese to Jesus, including Milu. And Milu is introducing other people to Jesus. You know, that's God's design. That's how it's supposed to work. It's not about paying a, a professional Christian to come and tell everyone about Jesus. God has commanded all of us as believers in Jesus Christ. It's our responsibility to share about Jesus. All of us are responsible for that. 
And that's our challenge this morning. It's for every one of us. It doesn't matter how young or how old. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, our role is to engage the culture wherever God has placed us, wherever God leads us. If that's here in America, that's here in America. That's at Walmart, it's at Walmart. If it's at Regional Eye Center, it's at Regional Eye Center. Wherever it happens to be, Taiwan, Italy, all of these places, wherever God takes us, we are to engage the culture and introduce people to Jesus. Because it's our job to make known this unknown God to people that need to hear about who he is. It's our job to introduce him. So I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to turn it over to Brother Keith to close this out. Heavenly Father, I just pray, God, that you would do a mighty work in each of our lives. God, that you would show us your, your grace, your mercy, your love. Help us to be courageous and bold to share that, the good news of Jesus Christ, with people that you place in our path. And maybe you're calling some people to, to move away and to go to some place different, maybe a different culture, a different language, whatever it is, because they need to hear about Jesus. God, I pray that they would have the courage to follow after that call. Lord God, I am so thankful for this body of believers here at First Baptist Church. God, I pray that you would just continue to pour out your favor upon them, that your spirit would be poured out upon them, that they would minister to this community and to the world in a way that brings you great honor and glory. God, it makes a huge impact for your kingdom. God, we praise you and worship you. And thank you, God, for who you are and your great love for us. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.